but God, we, we know that you hear, and what we ask in these next moments is that your word would penetrate our hearts, that it would expose any sin that we have, God, that needs to be dealt with today and repented of. But Lord, our, our prayer is today that we walk out of here changed and more obedient and more like your son Jesus than we did when we came in. And we thank you for letting us hear the word. Thank you for letting us preach the word. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. We have spent, um, very intentionally, we have been spending a lot of time hanging out around Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6. So this summer, we spent all of our time with the Sermon on the Mount. So we went through every single beatitude uh, that Jesus shared with us, that Jesus preached. And what, what the Beatitudes were, were, were showing us basically that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And Jesus is the one that empowers. And he keeps telling this message to the disciples over and over and over again. It, it's, it's like a resounding drum that just keeps on, but it's the same message. That, that if you want to do anything great in life, you need to do it with me. Because if you don't, you're not really doing it. And so we spent all these times on the Beatitudes, and then we jumped into four weeks to talk about the phrase about an upside-down kingdom, because when you read the Beatitudes and you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really was talking about a kingdom that was upside-down. It's completely different from anything that, that we experience here on earth. And, and we live in this upside kingdom that's up, it's, it's right-side up, but Jesus has called us to flip it, because the ways that you and I have been called to live are completely different and so there was something that took place and you got to think about these disciples these disciples spend three years walking with Jesus journeying with Jesus seeing the things that Jesus did they were there for the miracles they were a part of many of those miracles and then all this understanding and learning they got firsthand training in all of this and they in a little bit of time when Jesus is resurrected he has a conversation with them. He leaves. And in a little bit of time, the world begins to change. There was something that they had witnessed and had heard that did a work within their spirits that empowered them, that even the very Roman government that was against them will convert over to Christianity years after the resurrection of Jesus. So here's the question that we want to pose is they took these teachings and they literally turned the world upside down. And when I read the book of Acts, I see the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, man, I see this happen and this happen and this happen and this happen. And it's amazing. And I was reading this book and I gave it to, to, to our elders to read. And, and we're reading this book and the question that has daunted me and haunted me was as I read these, this movement of God that's taking place through the book of Acts, it's the exact same Holy Spirit that is with us today. So why are we not seeing the same things? There is a disconnect, not from the Spirit, but from us. So my prayer is over the next few weeks is that what we see and what we hear and what we witness would ignite whatever that is inside of us, that spark to connect us back and empower us to literally turn our world upside down. 
I'm going to approach this a little bit differently. When we start series, I, I like to start by giving overviews of the, of the scriptures. But, but I want to take a little bit different route today. Um, and I want to introduce you to a couple of moments. Because there's a lot of moments that happen in life that we really don't think are empowered. Because we see them as failures, we see them as, as issues. And, and I want to I walk you through a few moments from the scripture this morning. Because I think it's going to set us up to understand that we have been called. I want you leaving here today understanding that we have been an empowered people. That if Jesus said that we could do it, guess what? We can do it because he does not lie about things. But there are moments in our lives that are empowered. But if, if we're honest, we often do not feel very empowered. We, we often will feel like it's out of our control or, uh, you know, it's, it's just something that's holding us back. It does, the moment doesn't feel inspiring. So we don't think much of it and we just move on with our lives. Let me, let me give you this moment of, of Jesus, and, and it happens around Acts chapter 1. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives on, on the top of the hill, and this is the last meeting with the disciples. Now, he has spent time teaching them about the kingdom of God, and they've heard the Sermon on the Mount. They've heard everything that you've heard. They just got a lot better teacher teaching them these things. And they've heard all of these things, and they're standing there around Jesus, and he's about to be ascended back into heaven. I want you to take that in for a moment. You've been with this guy and you've heard his teachings and he was dead just not long ago and now he's standing here living and breathing in front of you and this is the last moment. And, and, and so all these emotions are kind of gathered in this spot and around this place and with this friendship relationship, this is our, Messiah, our Savior, our Messiah, and now he's going to leave. So I'm sure there are tons of questions that I just got to know this before he leaves. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think the question that's going to get asked from the disciples might be one of the dumbest questions in all of the Bible. So Jesus is about to, to leave, and one of the disciples says, hey, uh, question before you go, um, when is the time coming that you're going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? And Jesus is like, for real? Like, we, did, you, did you miss the whole kingdom talk that I did back in, in Galilee? That there's a thousand questions you should ask me, and you choose to ask me when the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored? Here's what he was asking. When are we going to be put back in charge of Israel? When are the Romans leaving? Can you see the disappointment? Have you ever had those moments where you've taught somebody something, and you think, man, they got it. They're getting this. And then you ask a question that reveals what's in their head, and you're like, they ain't got this. They ain't got, y'all ever had those conversations with your kids? You teachers, teachers, you teach this concept, you're like, they got it, and, you're, and you, you feel like you're going to go to your boss's office and ask for a raise because they got it. And then that boss comes into your room to look at your classroom and see how it's managed, and, and then you ask that question to try to impress, and you realize they ain't got it. I also ain't getting that raise. But this is one of those moments where it's a dumb question because Jesus has already answered this. And, and so he says, when will we be put back in authority? And Jesus tells them, listen, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. But 
I'll give you power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, you, you, you stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. That was a long 10-day wait they had to do, by the way. But he says, here's the deal, that, that you don't need to worry about that. That's none of your business. That was Jesus' nice Greek way of saying none of your business. Uh, you don't need to know the time or the place. What you do need to know is you need to go to Jerusalem. You need to hold. You need to wait because there is going to be a spirit that's coming. And I've, I've been telling you about this all through our journey. But there's a spirit that's coming. And you're going to love him because he's going to be your companion. He's going to be your counselor. But he's going to be the power and the fire that's going to be inside of you because you think this is all done. But this is just a moment. And see, here's what I think was really happening with these disciples. They were in a moment of crisis. And we've been there. But because everything they knew was about to leave. They, I mean, now what? We've been following you for years. And we've done everything you've asked us to do. And you've been in charge the whole time. But now you're leaving. What are we supposed to do? And this is a moment of crisis. So they go, they revert back to the only thing they knew and were comfortable with is when will we be in charge of Israel? And I just see Jesus going, and then he starts going up in the sky. And here's what's funny. As Jesus is ascending into heaven, the Bible gives us this insight in the ESV. It says that they stood there gazing, just watching. And they see him, and he gets a little higher, and, you know, I don't know why, especially as we get older, like, we have to squat down to really look. And, and they're, they're watching Jesus go up in the sky, and they're gazing. And Jesus is going up, and he sees some of the angels, and he's high-fiving. He's like, man, it's good to see you. I hadn't seen you in 33 years. We should get coffee. And then, in and, and just this one moment, I think Jesus just kind of glances down, and he's like, what are they doing? Because he looks down, and he just sees this. They were stuck gazing. They, they were stuck in this moment of crisis and didn't know what to do. And Jesus was like, I ain't, I ain't messing with that. I ain't got time for that. So he calls one of the angels, two of them, matter of fact. He says, could you, could you go fix that? Because I, I can't. I can't. After I thought they had it, they didn't have it. I, I can't. And so the angels come down. And when the angels come down, they're still staring up at the sky. They don't even recognize the angels are there because they're stuck in this moment. And the angel said, hey. What you looking at? Jesus. And the angel has to tell him, you need to go get to work. You need to get out of this moment to where you're stuck. You need to go be the witnesses that he's called you to be and go and wait. Go and wait. Don't be stuck in this moment. And they're stuck. And the angels have to say, why are you standing here? It's not over. The movement has just begun. Jesus has gone back. But here's the, the deal, guys. The way that he went back, he will come again. But until that point, go be witnesses to all of Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea. Go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. But they're stuck in this moment of crisis because they don't know what to do. Have you been there in those points like you have a crisis that comes up against you and you just feel like you're absolutely stuck and, and you find yourself just stuck gazing 
staring at the situation, staring at the problem, and, and you don't know where to go. And maybe it's like you're stuck staring at your fears, or maybe you're stuck staring at memories that, that you've lost, or, or people that you lost, and everything that you've ever known is gone, and, and you're, just, you're just stuck. And that's where they are. And the angel says, you got to get to work. Like there's, there's a, you have been given and assigned a mission. This is not a time for us to be stuck. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to empower you to do the work. Don't get stuck gazing. It's time to move. You know what we do as a church is a movement. It's a mission. And that mission has not ended. And I'll tell you why I know it hasn't ended. Because Jesus has not come back to get us yet. We are still here and we are still breathing. We still have a mission that is set before us, but we get caught in this moment of gazing. So there's this, this moment of crisis that we can go through that can keep us from moving forward and turning the world upside down. Now, on that hillside that day, there was a guy named Peter. Y'all remember this guy? Peter, you never, never had to worry about where you stood with Peter. Peter would let you know exactly where, you, where he stood with you. He was mad. He was mad. Well, one of the guys on the hillside that day was Peter. And he has this moment where he believes in his mind, because he's probably the one to ask the question. Honestly, in, math, in, uh, in Luke writing Acts, he was probably just nice not to throw him under the bus. But, but they're asking, like, when will we have authority? Because like, they're, they're waiting on the kingdom to be handed back over to Israel because they still haven't figured out the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness in the air. And so Peter is here in this moment, and they've had this wonderful Lord's Supper, and they've walked up um, to, to pray in the garden, which is, by the way, not far from where this ascension has happened. And they, they get there, and you remember, Jesus said, y'all stay here, y'all pray, and Jesus comes back, and, and what are they doing? They all just knocked out of sleep, right? And so Jesus says, y'all need to wake up and pray. So Jesus tells them again, y'all stand here, pray, I'll be right back. He comes back, and, and they were, what? They were sleeping again. I, so they they, they pray the way a lot of us pray a lot of times. And so when this is happening, you can look out from the place that they were praying, and, and you could literally see the torches coming their way. The, the torches are coming their way, and they know that this is it. Jesus knows this is it. It started. The clock is ticking. And as soon as these Romans step foot into this garden to arrest Jesus, Peter's like, ah, here it goes. And he pulls out his knife, and he's an awful shot because he didn't catch the guy's head. The Bible says he chopped his ear off. And he's thinking, look what, I'm starting the revolution. This is it. He wants, a, he wants a medal. He wants Jesus to say, you've done such a great job. Good shot. But Jesus goes, bro, what are you doing? This is not us. We, we're not here to, to fight with them. We're not here to cut ears off. And I can imagine Peter in this moment just kind of having this, well, I, I, thought, I thought this is what it was about. And Jesus reaches down and he picks the ear up. Not just imagine Jesus putting this ear on the guy staring at Peter. Like, you're not, you're not getting it? And Peter has this, he, he's, he's got this struggle. Because they're, they're Jesus has told him earlier that, Peter, you will deny me. Peter said, Jesus, there's no way that I will ever deny you. 
you're, you're, you're my friend. You're, you're my Lord, Savior, Messiah, Rabbi. I would, never, I would never do such a thing. And he says, I'm telling you right now, there's going to come a point in time that you will deny me. And a matter of fact, it won't be once, it won't be twice, it'll be three times that you will deny me. Peter's like, no. He says, I'm, I'm telling you, when the rooster crows, you'll deny me. So Jesus is arrested and he's taken from this garden. And he's marched right back into the walls of Jerusalem. And he's put on trial after he's beaten. And Peter's kind of hiding in the mist. And we read the story and he's just kind of like trying to blend in. And somebody sees him and goes, hey, this is one of those guys. And Peter's like, it wasn't me. I don't, I don't no, I don't, I don't know the guy. And then a little bit later, another person identifies who Peter is. He goes, no, this was one of the guys from Galilee. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this guy. I just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I can imagine by the time the third guy gets here that he probably said some choice words to the guy. And then in that moment, the rooster crows and Peter, it all comes back of going, what have I done? I have denied. Jesus just gave me grace for the ear thing. And now he's probably going to have my head because now I'm, I'm sitting here after all that I've seen and done, I've denied him. And Peter sits he sits in shame. He's in this moment that he is in a moment of redemption is what he's needing. A moment to be redeemed. Have you ever had a moment where your failures just come back and hit you right in the face? Your worst fears come back and hit you right in your face. And it cripples you and paralyzes you in these moments and you don't know what to do. Peter's having that moment where he thought he had it all together and then life hit and he didn't have it all together. And, and he's stuck. He's stuck in this moment of failure. And I know there's probably some of us that are stuck in a moment of failure because it's not your testimony yet. It's a confession. You know the difference between your testimony and your confession? Your testimony means that you're empowered by what happened. Your confession means that you're still trying to wrestle with not being ashamed by what happened to you. And some of us are trapped in the confession because there's so much shame and there's so much doubt. And, and when those things kick in, it's like there's no way that God could ever use me to turn a world upside down because of what I've, where I've come from and who I am. And Peter is in this moment of being stuck and the enemy just keeps reminding him over and over and over. See, Satan wants nothing more than to catch you on your worst day and make that your profile picture. And every time that you start to move in the direction that you're supposed to move in towards the gospel, he will bring you right back to that profile picture to look at it and say, this was your worst moment right here. Can I tell you something, church? We don't operate on profile pictures. We operate on video. We operate on video because we don't freeze frame moments because here's the thing in the video of our lives is there's a moment when the king comes in and brings redemption to that moment. But we get stuck on one little thing and we don't see the whole picture. And if you sleep on it, you'll miss the ending. Do y'all remember, there was a movie out a few years, well, a few years ago, 22 years ago. The Sixth Sense. You remember this? You watched that movie? Because the ending just changed everything, didn't it? You watch The Sixth Sense, and, and you're intrigued by it, and then you get to the end of the movie, and you find out the boy has been dead the entire movie. 
Now, if you've never watched that movie before, the boy dies at the end. He's been dead the whole time. You've had 22 years to watch that movie. That's on you. But you get to the end of the movie, and you're like, this, this kid's been dead the whole time? Hold on. i got to go back and watch the movie again. Now, don't you watch the movie differently the second time than you did the first time? Because the kid's eating breakfast, and you're like, that guy's dead. He's playing with his friend. The kid is dead. And you go through the whole movie and realize, been dead the whole time. When we go back and watch the video of our lives, Jesus will bring us back to these moments that we thought that he wasn't there because we've seen the end. The end is that he has redeemed us back into his fold. And we watch this movie, and those moments that you thought were moments of failures and moments of pain, what happens is we see it differently because we see that God was there the entire time. That, that's the video life that we've been called to live. But we'll get so trapped because the enemy wants you to look at this one frame. Because if he'll stay in that one frame, we will never, ever live up to what we've been called to do. And that is to go and make disciples of all nations. He wants to paralyze us in that. Peter fails miserably. And what happens after the resurrection, after this failure, after filling all of this? Peter goes right back to the one thing he knew. Fishing. And we find him later on in a boat with the other disciples and they're fishing they just went right back to what it was that they knew this is a moment Peter's in that boat struggling he hadn't caught any fish so he really is back to where he was and he sees this person walking across the shores of Galilee yelling out hey you caught anything no well cast your nets to the other side and they said that there was so many fish that they could hardly get them in the boat and Peter in that moment recognized who it was and that was Jesus in the Bible, and I want you to get this because the last time that we read about Peter being on the water, it didn't go so well. Y'all remember that? He tried to walk on it and didn't go well, and Jesus had to save him. But this time, I want you to notice something in the story. He jumps off the boat and swims towards Jesus, the Bible says. He was so excited that there was Jesus. Y'all know how many fish he caught, by the way? Because the Bible gives us this really weird detail that while Peter is swimming and, and they're the ones now left doing all the work, it was a group project and Peter was the guy that didn't want to participate. They took the fish. The Bible says that other disciples are over there counting the fish and they counted 153 fish. In, in Jewish numerology, 153 stands for I am God. As they're counting the fish, one, two, they get to 153 and they're like, oh, who is Peter talking to? So even God left them a little message with the fish that they caught. Meanwhile, Peter comes up on the shore, and Jesus is there. And when you come to Israel with us, we're going to take you to this spot. But we're going to take you to this rock, and on that rock, because remember, Jesus told them, on this rock, I'll build my kingdom. That was, that was the conversation with Peter. And he brings them to a different rock. And this time, there's a charcoal burning fire, and Jesus is cooking fish. To have breakfast, which to me, awful breakfast. I get it, first century Israel, whatever. They're cooking this fish. But the Bible gives us this really weird detail here. That it was a charcoal fire. Only two times in all of the Bible is the word charcoal used. This is one of them. You know what the other one was? The night that he denied Jesus, he talked about the charcoal fire burning on the torches. Jesus was even redeeming his smell. 
He smelled his failure when he walked up to that fire. He was excited to see Jesus, but he also knew when he walked up there was this shame because he realized what he had done. But Jesus uses the very thing of charcoal in the air, that smell, not to remind him of his failure, but to say, when you denied me, I was there. And I knew. And I still love you. And then he asked Peter the question, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You, you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. See, the, the failure, Jesus wasn't allowing to get in the way. He was redeeming this moment for Peter. Because Peter was ready to throw in the towel and call it quits. Because he had one, one failure in his life that he just allowed to sum up everything. Because it was a profile picture of what it was. So he has this moment of redemption. And I believe this is when Peter got it. Because there were a lot of times that Peter was saying things and Jesus was like, oh Lord, gosh. Kill me now. Because he just wasn't getting it. He was the put the foot in the mouth kind of disciple. So much that Jesus lived with Peter when he lived in Galilee. But we see something interesting that happens. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, what Jesus had said in Acts 1 has come true in Acts 2. And we're going to break all this stuff down over the next couple of weeks. But he said the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to empower you. And on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and he falls on the disciples, but specifically Peter, and crazy things start happening. Fire above people's heads, people start speaking in different languages, all kinds of crazy things happening that people are like, whoa, what's going on? And the disciples are like, hey, somebody's got to tell them what's happening. And Peter's like, I got this. And I'm sure the other disciples are like, whoa, 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 whoa. we need to vote on this, right? But Peter's like, he takes the mic, he's like, I got it. And this is the way he starts out his sermon in Acts chapter 2. I know it looks like we're drunk, but we ain't drunk. Okay, that's the opening line of the sermon. And the disciples are like, oh gosh, here we go. And Peter says, it's too early in the morning for us to be drunk. And I don't know that Luke really encapsulated everything in that moment, but I'm sure the next line would have been, if it were 7 or 8 o'clock, maybe. But we're not drunk. What's happening is the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us and fill us, and this is what you're seeing. You are seeing the prophecy right in front of you. And Peter preaches this sermon, and 3,000 people come to know Christ in that moment the church grows from this indwelling see because when we, when we look back there's a moment of failure that he was going to hang it up and we get to Acts chapter 2 he's the one moving the movement forward big time and then he's saying we've been given a task we've been given a mission we're not going to let our faults and our failures and our hang-ups we're not going to let those things keep us from doing what we have been called to do this is the third moment this is a moment of commissioning. That he remembered that Jesus said, there's a great commission that you go, you make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey the commands. And I'll go with you. And this is the moment that he, he realizes that everything comes together. And he moves forward. 
And in this moment, this is what a moment of commission is. It's saying, God, use me however you need to use me. I surrender everything that I have to you. I'm not holding anything back. This is what it is. Because how can we turn a world upside down if we want to hold everything back? If we want to allow fear and guilt and pain and somebody else's comments keep us from doing the thing that God called us to do. All we got to do is say yes. When Peter opened his mouth, revival broke out. What would happen if you would open your mouth in obedience? I believe revival would break out. Because we preach a gospel that is alive, that pierces the hearts and the lives of people that are broken and downtrodden and are looking for hope. And we have words of hope. I was watching YouTube, because that's what pastors apparently do. We work on Sundays and watch YouTube the rest of the week. There's this video, and, I, and every once in a while videos will pop up, and then I'll find myself getting all emotional. Like if you show me a video of a soldier coming home to surprise his kids, I, it's, this is done. I don't know what happens, but it, just, it, it gets me. But I saw this other video, so now I know there's two videos and not watch around people. And this other one is these, these kids that can't hear. And, and they'll go to the doctor, and the doctor has, has these machines, and these children will hear for the very first time. And there's one of this little girl, and she's just sitting there, just like what, looking. They put the headphones on, right? And they click the button to her left ear, and she hears a boom. And she lights up because she's heard sound for the first time. And then the doctor will punch the button, and she'll hear a boop in the right ear. And for the first time in her life, she's heard sound in her right ear. She's just taken back. And then the father walks in and says, Hey, little girl, I love you. And for the first time, she hears her father say, I love you. Who got the most joy out of that room? Was it the daughter? Because for the first time she heard her father's voice was it the dad because the first time that he was able to say that to his daughter she heard him I would say it was the doctor because on that day he was doing what he was called to do and was able to design and facilitate a moment for that little girl to hear the voice of her father for the first time I don't think you hear what I'm saying as a church what we have been called to do it's to facilitate moments for people to be able to hear their father say, I love you for the very first time. Are you hearing me? If we want a world to be turned upside down, if we want a world that lives out kingdom values, if we want to be the people that God has called us to be, it starts with us facilitating moments for people to be able to hear their father say, I love you for the very first time. We get to build a community that does that. We get to be a church that does that it comes with its mess it comes with its junk and baggage but it comes with the biggest payoff ever is that we were able to help someone hear from their father who has a message for them that loves them 
that are dealing with habits and hang-ups and mess-ups in their life and they don't know how to push through and how to make it, we have the word for them. We get to help the sons and the daughters grow up hearing the Father's voice. And we get to invite others so that they can hear their Father's voice. That is the core of who we are as a follower of Jesus. Our team's going to come and we're going to just sing a song of surrender this morning. But as we do that, I, I really want you to think about some stuff. There's, there's some stuff that you need to be processing. And, and part of that is, what, what, a, what moment are you stuck gazing in? Where are we stuck? What, what part of our life in a moment of failure are we allowing the enemy to keep showing us a profile picture because we've missed the video because here's the thing the disciples were stuck and it was until Jesus brought them out of that moment and said I'm not calling you to be these things right now I'm calling you to be who you are and you feel disqualified, but I don't call qualified people. I, I qualify those that are disqualified. And the moment that they got that, they took their mission and realized everything that they do is to share everything that they had seen and they had heard. And here we are years later. That's what we get to do. So in this moment as we sing, some of you need a prayer of here I am. Some of you are in that prayer, God, I need, I need redemption. I am caught in this moment, and I just need to be reminded that you love me. You're not holding it against me. And then for some of you, you just need to move your eyes from staring at that problem. And the Bible says, lift your eyes to the maker. You just need to look up and see that God is at work. Let me pray for you. Father, in this moment, I just pray that we would hear clearly from you. There is nothing more that Satan wants from, than us to, to not hear what it is that you're trying to tell us today. He is fearful of the kingdom. He is fearful that, that your gospel gets proclaimed because he knows that the gospel changes lives. So I pray today that you would release those that are in this room with their baggage, with their eyes locked on situations. I pray that our heads you would physically put your hand on our heads and turn them towards your face so that we can hear your voice say, son, daughter, I love you. We pray these things in your name.